Well, good morning. This is going to be a perfect opportunity today in this service for you to respond vocally to me. Um, I'm not going to preach according to your response, but I am going to measure your response. I've heard it said before, you can't get any more in a window than you can get out of a window. So if you have a good response, then you can guarantee that uh, the word that's coming forth today is good. I actually feel the preach on me today. I think I'm going to go a little Pentecost on you today, so don't get frightened. Don't get afraid. I believe in Pentecost. I believe in being baptized into the, into, the, into the body. I believe in being born again. I believe in being baptized in the Spirit. And I believe in what's beyond door number three, where the glory of God is. But today, specifically today, I feel uh, the preacher on me. So we'll just see what God wants to do. This is what I want to talk to you about today is this subject. When he appears, everybody say with me. I don't make you repeat me often, but today you're going to do it some. When he appears. When he appears. My subtitle is Jesus, a sign. Find me another microphone. I'm going to change the mic so we can not listen to that mess anymore. Whose mic is this? I don't even need glasses. I just don't think they can spell too good. This might say Eli. It's in Hebrew or Greek. We'll give it a shot and see if you can figure it out up there, Isaiah. Eli. Yes, this is Eli. Oh, my God. Now, come take this microphone up there to him. It might be the battery's dying, but I don't want you focusing. You're going to have to push it a little bit because uh, I don't want to lose my throat. I've done that for weeks now, not because of preaching, but because of screaming like a crazy man at soccer games and because of singing and preaching. Give me a little bit more juice on this mic, Isaiah. I'll tell you where you get it to where I like it. Jesus, a sign. Jesus a sign. 1 John 3, we're going to read the scripture first, and I'm going to read to you from the King James, and I do have other copies, uh, other versions I'm going to read from, but first, King James, 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be, you know what, I'm going to make you do something I have never made you do that I remember, but I just felt like I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, let's stand for the reading of his word this morning. Can we do that? We have it on tablets, and we have 17 copies back there in my library, and we carry it. But this word is precious. There are countries where people have to give their lives in order to, still today in 19, to be able to have a copy of the Bible. You have to smuggle Bibles into China. I know because I've sent money to some of my friends that do that. Some Muslim countries, you've got to sneak Bibles in, and if they find out you've got them, they're going to burn the Bible, then they'll burn you. I think we should take the reading and the listening of the word very seriously. I'm not, this is not to say that you don't, but I want to give honor to it. Jesus is the word, and this written word is about Jesus. 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Now, when you hear sons, you should hear the offspring, sons and daughters. Because in the kingdom there is no male nor female, no Jew or Greek, neither uh, bond nor slave. So if you hear sons, girls, I'm talking to you too. That we should be called, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now, when? Now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. Now we are the sons, but that's not the fullness of who we are. Right now we understand we're the offspring of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this. 
When he shall appear, say with me, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You can be seated. This scripture has been manipulated and put into incredibly wrong and bad doctrine. Now, I'm not on an assignment to destroy doctrine, and I'm not on an assignment to, under, to destroy your understanding or lack thereof of end times. But we got to set the record straight. His appearing is not talking about a six-foot Jew poking out through a cloud in the eastern part of the natural sky. Period. And I do believe in the natural return of Jesus Christ. So don't go off on some tangent and say, I don't believe. I do, but that's not what this is talking about. If that's the case, then we just know that we're saved. And one day Jesus shows up and boom, we're all changed because he appeared and stepped out in the That is not. And what's happened is in most churches, that's what has been preached. And so there's no growth that happens in the church because why do you need to grow up? We're waiting for him to show up. We don't need to learn. We don't need to grow up. We don't need to give ourselves in praying and in fasting and in prayer and, and, and forsaking not the, the assembling of ourselves together because it's just, no, no, no. This is not, a, this, as my mother used to say, this is not a, what, what was your word? Your magic word? God, he want, she wanted God to poof it. Is that what it was? She wanted God to poof it. God, do, very, very seldom does God just poof it. Because what God wants us to do is not just understand why we arrive or when we arrive, but why we arrived where we arrived. And there's a process. And, 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 the, and the, end, the, the end is not more important than the beginning and the in-between. Not really what I want to talk about per se, but when it says in, when he shall appear, that has zero to do with Jesus stepping out on a cloud. And I believe that he's coming. The two angels looked at disciples and says, this same Jesus that ascended up into heaven, it will come again in like manner. So I do believe that. What I don't believe is that gives us the opportunity to sit on our pews and on our chairs with our hands under our rear end, throw our hands up a little bit on Sundays and say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and live like hell and reap the benefits and the seed of hell all week because we refuse to grow up. I believe in the kingdom there are babes and young men and fathers, very few fathers according to the New Testament. It's a shame to me that in 2019 there are still few fathers, which tells me people are content being babies. If I see a one-year-old running around here, Isaiah says little baby wearing a diaper, it's perfect and almost cute and natural. But if a 33 or 40-year-old man comes in here wearing a diaper, we got some problems. And the kingdom of God is full of 30 and 40 and 50-year-old men and women that are spiritually infants. I'm going to tell you why they don't grow, because they eat for 45 minutes a week, and that's it. Just let me lay my foundation. Don't judge me yet. You're going to like what I have to say. I'm not here to condemn, but I am going to set some stuff straight, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Over the past few years in this church, we have talked ad nauseum about identity. We have talked about it. And the reason that we've talked about it is because I believe that this nation has lost its identity. Let's narrow that down some. I believe that the church, especially the Western church, has become a microcosm of the United States. We fight as much in the church as they do out there. I have watched church people divide themselves over stupid political issues that have nothing whatsoever to do with the kingdom. And I don't care how many books you sold, Jesus ain't any more left-wing than he is right-wing. Jesus is just right. Period. There are some things that I agree with 
on one side or possibly the other aisle. But the, but the thing of it is, Jesus cannot be condensed and fit neatly into one side of our partisan politics. That's fine for out there. What's happened is it's crept into the church. And so we say, if they don't believe the way I believe, if they don't do the way I do, if they don't vote the way I vote, I'll separate myself from them. They're the others, and we're the ones that have. And Jesus always, you'll always find, if you draw a circle to, to disclude somebody, Jesus will draw a bigger circle to get them back in. We're searching for an identity. We didn't find it in Obama any more than we did in Trump. Both of those presidents have done very little but to divide us. I think there have been some good things that have been done politically, but they are not the answer. Jesus alone and his church is the answer. It was the answer then, it's the answer now. And for those of you that are on this crazy tangent, I'm watching it, and it's about to make me sick about God is bigger than the church, and God don't need. Listen, the church is the bride of Christ. It was and it is. And I can guarantee you if somebody says enough about that woman as my bride, they're going to answer to me for it. You might want to keep your mouth off the church because with all of her many problems, she is still the bride of Christ. God ain't done with the church, and the Spirit's not done with the church, and the church ain't just leaving the building. We should still not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The problem with it is we assemble, but then when we leave, we fall apart, and you can't, and we don't resemble what we act like when we're in this building. Identity is a worthy subject because it seems that we don't know who we are. And the reason that we don't know who we are is because we don't know who he is. Now, to be sure, God loves you. I'm going to read some from my notes and I'm going to preach. And sent his only begotten son to save you. But if you don't know who you are, children, listen to me. If you don't know who you are, you will remain powerless in your feeble attempts at conquering this thing we call life. And I don't care if you're 10 or 110. The only thing that the enemy ever challenged, the thief that comes to steal, more than anything is what? He comes to steal identity. He told Adam and Eve, remember, when the serpent spoke in the garden, this is what he said, hath God said, and then he challenged, if you do something, then you'll be like God. If you eat of this fruit, then you'll be like God. The truth is they were made like God. The Bible says that God made man in his image and after his likeness. They were already like God. The same spirit energizes the enemy in the New Testament when Jesus goes into the wilderness. The Bible says driven into the wilderness in one translation to be tempted by the devil. And what does he tempt? If thou be the son. That's King James. Here's Josh's version. If you're really who he said you were, if you're really the offspring of God, if you really carry within yourself, am I talking to anybody, the DNA of the Holy One, if you really are, then do this or do that. You have to do something to prove yourself worthy of being something. And that's exactly what we do in 2019. You know what happens when you lay your head on your pillow and the first thing that comes is reminding you of, what, of, of your shortcomings or your failure or what you're not. You ought to look at yourself every day in the morning. You ought to look at yourself in the, every day in the morning. Then, If you go into the second room of Moses' tabernacle, which is the grandfather clause of all revelation in Scripture, you'd look in a thing called a laver. 
And in that laver was water. And it's where the priest who had slain a lamb in day one would come and wash his hands. And he would look down. And when he looked down, he saw his reflection. But then when he washed his hands with that bloody sacrifice, then the water looked more like blood. And the only thing that he could see was the blood. You ought to look at yourself every day and stop worrying about the reflection that you think you see and see the blood of Jesus was enough to cover my sins and my death and my failures and my mistake. I don't see failure. I see the blood. And the reason that's what you should see is because that's what Father sees. There are scores of books that have been written where the author lays out his or her own ideas about becoming a better you. Empowering books, they call them. Yet they are completely devoid of any real power. Let me tell you something. You might not like me for this. You, you, may, you may try to get a new pastor in here after I tell you this, but I'm going to have to be honest with you anyways. My, really, my thrust is really more apostolic than prophetic and I, or than, than pastoral, and I'm walking in this morning. But Jesus did not come to make you a better you. Jesus did not come to make you a better you. Jesus came and experienced a death so that you could die. But he rose from the dead so that you could raise in his likeness. Jesus doesn't have any interest whatsoever. Father has no interest whatsoever in you becoming a better you. What he has interest is, is you understanding who you always were. Because if you don't ever see who you always were, you're going to pretend like what you're not. And you're going to live your life eating fruit, thinking that doing this will make me like him, when the reality is you are like him. We don't really need so much to change as we need our perception to change. And when your perception changes, then you can see him as he is. And when you see him as he is, then you understand, oh, oh, the, the whole point of the New Testament is to understand who you are within the context of who he is. Because truth is truth, and if nothing changes, then nothing changes. I'm going to say it again. It's powerful, potent, and almost funny. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. Lord, I feel like I've been walking in this circle now for three years. And the Lord says back, yeah, but if nothing changes, nothing changes. And it's in your spirit and within your own power to make whatever changes need to be made so that you can walk out of this same little cyclical defeatism mess and walk into the abundant life that was promised by Jesus Christ the righteous. God did not send his son into the earth to teach us how to be a better us and how to live our best lives now. I've saw, I've saw your Facebook posts and your Instagram, living my best life, living my best life. And you smile and I've done it. And you make it look as pretty as possible. And then you get off of Facebook, you lay your phone down and you go lay your face in your lap and you begin to cry because you know that what you put out there ain't the reality because inside you're torn apart and you're, and you're full of your dualism and, you, and your heart's being ripped apart. But you're trying to make it out as if everything's okay. And the truth of it is, it hasn't been okay in a long time and the reason it has it is because you're trying to put up this some some sort of a facade I think the most powerful thing that Mark said when he came up this morning was and there's some things that I've gone through because of my own mistakes that that is a precious thing for someone to get up and say look you know all the all those things he said was good but I'm walking some things because of mistakes I've made. let me tell you how many things I've had to walk in because of my own mistakes and confess that before brothers and sisters Are y'all asleep? William, play something fast. No, I'm just kidding. 
From the moment of his birth, angels would, be, would appear to lowly shepherds and say, this will be a sign unto you. You will find the babe, the Messiah, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Do you know what swaddling clothes were, by the way? They were garments that were taken and some say priestly garments that were taken, which is true. And they would tear those garments up. And when, they, and, when the, the, and when the cattle would drink the milk from their mother, they would take those swaddling clothes and wipe the cows and wipe the animals clean. No wonder he was called the sincere milk. Jesus is the sincere milk of the word. This will be a sign unto you. Jesus, his whole life was a sign. He was a sign and a symbol. And the, and the angels would appear and say, this will be a sign unto you. You will find their babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Some old wise men would look into the heavens to follow a sign, to follow a star that would lead them to the morning star that came down from heaven. They looked into the heavens to find a star that would lead them to the morning star that came from heaven. You should have said a bigger amen than that. That's real good preaching, Josh. I tell you what, I'm going to give my own self an offering. The Bible says that even as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness and everyone who saw the serpent was made whole, that even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up above the earth, I will draw that word. You might not believe it, but that actually means drag. I will drag how many men? Tell me how many men. How many men to me? I, if, if I be lifted up above the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And just as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness and every single Hebrew that saw all that serpent was made healed of their afflictions. If you look upon Jesus, the one on the cross, you will be made whole of your afflictions. Jesus assigned. From the beginning, he was assigned. He did not come to help us live our best lives, but to reveal the Father. And when the Father's revealed, the Son is revealed. In St. John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus tells Philip, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. It's raining now. Probably going to get heavy in a minute. The truth is the purpose of Jesus becoming a sign was to show us who we are within the context of who he is. In fact, it seems clear to me that 1 John 3 is screaming this. There are, there are myriad of verses pertaining to this. But for, for instance, Colossians 3. Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the next scripture, the next verse, verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you will also appear with him in glory. What are we looking for? We are looking for the appearing of Christ, not in the cloud, but in our reality, in our present day reality. We're looking for the appearing of Christ because we know when he appears, we will appear with him. Where? Is glory a city? Is glory a city where there are a bunch of mansions and streets of gold and walls of jasper and, and gates, of, uh, uh, gates of pearl? And uh, No! Glory is the essence of the presence of God. 
If you were to walk into a kingdom and look around and see all of the splendor of a kingdom, it's all reflective of the king. The glory of God is reflective of the personality and the character of God. And in the personality and character of God, there is no sin, sickness, death, or disease. Period. So when he shall appear, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. Not not some glad morning, today, right now. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Another way to read this is this. When Christ appears, our life appears with him. Jesus did not come to make you a better you, but he came and died so that you could die. But he rose from the dead so that you can rise from your own dead situation and circumstances. And he ascended and reigns so that you can reign in life. Reign in life. When you're walking in church like this on Sundays, oh God, that's not reigning in life. When Monday comes and you put on there, good God, it's another Monday. I put a funny one on last week. Did you see the old woman that got smashed in the face with a basketball and never saw it coming? I said, Monday be coming like this. But that's not reigning in life. If you dread Mondays, just be, most people dread Mondays because it, it signifies or signals the first day of the work week. Some of you have off tomorrow because of, is it Columbus Day? Look at Jen throwing her hands. Look, she's happy. She's excited. But you should be living the abundant life. Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Amen. Jesus is not a self-help manual, but Christ is our life. The Son of God became a son of man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. Good God. I said the Son of God became a Son of Man so that sons of men could become the sons of God. Jesus was a sign. He was a sign. Everything that happened in his life. There's an old book. You should probably go check it out. Written by Bill Britton. It's called Jesus, the Pattern Son. Been years since I've read it, but it's a great. If you can say it about the life of Jesus, it should be manifested in your life today. I heard Bill Johnson say one time, everything that Jesus did, specifically pertaining to the miraculous, he did not do as God, but he did as a son in right relationship with his father. Which is to say, if Jesus can do it, we should be doing it. If Jesus was raising the dead, why are we not raising the dead? If Jesus can heal the sick, why are we not? Good God Almighty, give me some more volume on this microphone before my throat blows out. If Jesus is making the lame to walk and the dumb to speak and the blind to see and the deaf to hear, why is the New Testament church satisfied with 45 minutes of a motivational speech on Sundays? He is our life and we will never manifest our true selves until we see a manifestation of who He is. I love it. The New Testament, Jesus heals a blind man. And he had been blind his whole life, 30-some years. And the church leaders of the day did not like this new Jesus because Jesus welcomed everybody. He even loved and ate with, and they accused him of partying with sinners. 
Sinners by their own definition. In fact, the only people you'll ever find Jesus having an issue with are religious hypocrites who like to stand up and act like they got it all together, but the truth of it is they think they're going to get something by doing something. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, boys, it's not about by doing, it's about by being. You have to be born into this kingdom. The purpose of Jesus' life was so that we could see a manifestation of who he is and then in that context understand who we are. He was a sign and a witness for all sons and daughters of God who are the sons and daughters of God that believe on his name. That's very, it's just that simple. When we see our true selves in context of his true self, then we know who we really are. Here's the problem with most of the you don't have a clue who you are. Because if you really knew who you really were, then you would reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed not upon us and not unto us, but will be revealed within us. Paul said, I reckon he was a southerner like I was. I reckon. Really what reckon means is, I've laid it all out. I've seen the pros and the cons. And when it all filters out, I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the kabod, the doxa, the glory that will be revealed in us. But it's only going to be revealed in you as we see it revealed in him. And as long as God is the white, faceless, angry monster, you'll never see him as he is and you won't know who you are. You'll live in fear all your days and you'll try to keep a bunch of rules and you'll have a cosmic chalkboard in your mind and you'll check when you did bad and put an X when you did wrong like they do in elementary school. And you'll live your life saying, I'm going through this because I did that. I'm suffering a little bit because of this. Instead of saying, wait a minute, I am the righteousness. He that knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When we see our true selves in context of his true self, then we know who we really are. And the Bible says that we will be mighty and do exploits. Exploits literally means explosions. My father would say exploit means explosions of power, power, dunamis, explosion, dynamite. Like You should be living like J.J. said back in the 80s, dynamite. Everywhere you go, there should be an explosion of power and glory and resurrection. That's why Jesus said, boys, I didn't come to have the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Where I walk, there's life. Where I go, there's resurrection. Jesus didn't weep because his best friend had died. No matter what these liberal scholars say, they're morons. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. The Bible's clear. Jesus wept because of their unbelief. He wasn't crying because his buddy died. Why in the world would he cry when he could speak one word and say, Lazarus, come forth? He had to call him by name because if he had just simply said, come forth, every dead thing that had ever died would have come forth. He wasn't crying because Lazarus was, oh, my friend, that's a bunch of liberal hogwash. They ought to take it and burn it with their stupid books. It's not the truth. The Bible says Jesus wept because of their unbelief. Because they didn't see him as he was. Because if they did, they would have known. I'm not going to raise up at the last. Here's what Martha says. We know that he'll be raised up in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus weep. Because Martha did what our church does and what most churches do. We put off everything until tomorrow. Until what we call the last day. Have you ever wondered when we're going to get there? I mean, seriously. It's a moneymaker. 
It's a moneymaker to tell people to do good to get good. Give good or God's going to curse you. But if you give good in the last days, you know, when God sucks half the planet out and leaves the other half and burns, and, you know, he's, he's, I almost said a bad word, he's ticked off at everybody else. We put off everything until the last day. I can tell you, Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 and said, this is that that was spoken of by my prophet Joel, saying that in the last days I would pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters would prophesy. Your old men would dream dreams, and your young men would see visions. There would be vapors of fire and, 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 and smoke. That's what, that's what he said in Acts 2. You're not living in the last days. Let me tell you where you live. You're living in a new day. You live, I, you, your future is so bright you should wear shades. You ain't living in no last days. We're not waiting for Jesus to come and curse this thing to hell. Jesus decided to taste of death for every man. He actually went into hell, preached to them, and cleaned the place out. Jesus ain't sending you to hell. Jesus is going to pull you out of hell. And the way that it, most of the hell that we live in is the hell of our own misconception of who God is. And because we don't really know who God is, we're wrapped up in the of the curse and we don't know who we are but he that knew no sin was made sin he actually took upon his own self the curse the crown of thorns upon his head when we see our true selves in context of his true self we'll know who we really are and the Bible says we will be mighty and do exploits if Christ truly is a sign and Christ truly is our life, as the scripture says he is. That means that though we are sick, yet we are healed because he is our healer. It means that though we were poor, yet we are made rich because he is our provider. Somebody get with me. It means though we were downtrodden, yet we are raised up because he is the resurrection. Switch it now. Though we were in bondage, yet we're made free because he's our deliverer. Though we were in turmoil and full of worry, we are made at peace because he is our comforter. Though we were in sin, now are we redeemed because he's our redeemer. It means that though we were lost, now we are found because he's the good shepherd. My God, I'm starting to see myself in context of who he is. Not only is he the good shepherd, he's the good shepherd that leaves the 90 and 9 and goes after the one. He didn't just leave 99 sheep and go get the one sheep. Jesus is so full in his resurrection power that he will leave the 99% of you and he'll go get the other one that's missing and bring it back until you are completely and utterly 100% whole. It means that though I'm broke, I'm prosperous because Jehovah Jireh is my provider. It means that though in the natural, I should worry. I live in peace because he's the prince of peace and his father, the king of Salem, is the king of peace. He is a priest after the order, therefore, of Melchizedek. And if he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, that means there are other priests in that priesthood. And when we walk in that priesthood like you're seeing me walk today and understand who we are, then not only are you free, but as Bill Baldwin says, the Spirit of God will come on you for others. My purpose today is to try to help you see yourself as you really are. And it will only happen as you see him as he is. We pray as broke people, God's our provider, and we stay broke. That should not be.
We sing, I believe you're my healer and go home sick. That should not be. Jesus was a sign, and he was a sign to us of what right relationship with the Father would do. And what is right relationship with the Father but righteousness? What is being justified other than being just as if I'd never messed up? I like the message version. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called the children, the offspring of God. That is who we really are. And that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously. Who cares? You're going to have to get into a place in your life where you could care less what other, you couldn't care less what other people think about you. As long as you're worried about what they think about you, you are going to be completely and utterly helpless, hopeless, powerless, and of no use to the kingdom whatsoever. But the moment you say, I don't care what they think about me, because, they don't, because what they think about me don't define me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but his word is the one that spoke me. I said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but his word is the word that spoke me. I'm a word out of the mouth of God. And any word that comes out of the mouth of God will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish the thing whereunto he sent it. I am a word out of the mouth of God. Jesus is the word out of the mouth of God, and we are words out of the mouth of God. It don't matter what you say about me. I couldn't care less if you like me or if you don't come back next Sunday. I'm doing what I'm called to do as a manifest word of God to you this morning. And if you listen, it'll make you free. If you've heard it before, but you listen today, it'll still make you free. If you know everything, I know a lot of you do, already know everything. If you listen, it'll still make you free. You can pretend like you don't know it all and act like God can feed you with something you hadn't heard before. Eat it a little bit, it'll make you free. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Being a child of God is only the beginning. Listen to this. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, that is the purpose of True Vine Worship Center for Christ. Kelly Varner stood in our church years ago, 2008, and he had done it back in the 90s and said, in Statesville, Christ will be revealed. And then nobody did it. They did like y'all did. There were three people that said yes, and nobody said else said a thing. And it's no condemnation if you don't say anything, but my God, everyone, every now and then, I just want you to check your neighbor's pulse and make sure they're alive. And then he said it again. I said, Christ will be displayed in Statesville. Christ, the anointed one and his anointed family, will be displayed, put on display like a city on a hill in Statesville. Remember? And he said, if it ain't you, he's still going to do it. It will be somebody. But he believed that it, the reason for this place is to manifest what true sons and daughters of God are. When Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him, and in seeing him, become like him. Come on, it's when we see him as he is that we become like him. Wait a minute, you're full of mercy? I better walk in some mercy. You're full of forgiveness? I'm going to walk in forgiveness. You're full of grace and hope and peace and love? I'm going to walk in grace and hope and peace and love. When we see him as he is, we become like him because you become like what you behold. 
And that's why a lot of preachers, and you've heard them too, they're mean and they're vindictive and they got spit coming out of one side of their mouth and tobacco juice out of the other side and they eat biscuits, as they say, and sop gravy and act like the Spirit of God don't move anymore. All of them just need to go have a seat and listen to somebody say, God is good. They're mean just like the God they worship. But it ain't the God we worship. Sounds like there's a big amen coming from it just up above. Are you pointing to something? You can't hear it? It's out. Oh, turn it up a little bit, Isaiah, it's for the rain, they're saying. When we see him, in seeing him, we'll become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming, stay ready. With the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. I like the Passion Translation even better. I'm going to read it, and then we're going we're gonna to see what God wants to do. I'll let you go pretty soon. Divine sonship, 1 John 3. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished upon us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is because they also did not recognize him. Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it is not apparent what we will become, but we do know that when it is finally made visible, we'll be just like him because we see him as he truly is. And all who focus their hope on him will always be purifying themselves just as Jesus is pure. When he is revealed, who we are gets revealed. When his true identity is made known, then our true identity can be made known. And the whole earth is groaning and waiting and travailing for what? For the revealing, the manifestation of the sons of God. They don't even know what they're groaning and travailing and waiting for. And I say they as people, and I believe that very creation itself is waiting for sons and daughters of God, a company of sons, to stand up in the DNA of their Father and say, where I walk, resurrection life walks. Where I walk, healing walks. Where I walk, prosperity walks. Where I walk, change comes. Where I go, mercy goes. Where I go, grace goes. Where I go, forgiveness goes. Where I go, the Spirit of God goes. And not only is the Spirit leading me, but goodness and mercy are following back behind me I'm sorry not sorry I can hear the father screaming sons and daughters walk into your purpose see yourself for who you really are you are not weak you are not you are the head and not the tail you are above and not beneath let me tell you what head and not the tail means a head leads, a tail always follows. A head makes decisions, a tail has decisions made for it. A head has a mind, a tail wags back behind and does what the head tells it to do. We are called to be the head and not the He's our provider. He's our good father. He's our divine healer. He don't just want to come heal you. He wants to make you whole. There were 10 lepers that came to Jesus one day and got healed. And all of them left, but one of them came back. And the Bible says that one was made whole. That means his nose that had been eaten away grew back instantly when he came back to give thanks. 
That means that his extremities, his fingers that had been eaten away, the nine of them were healed and leprosy didn't touch him anymore, but they had lost their fingers. They never got them back. But the man that came back and said, I just had to come and find a way to say thank you. Thank you for healing me. You didn't have to do it, but you did. You didn't have to come to my town. You didn't have to come to my church, but you did, and I've just got something in me. It's crying out, thank you. Jesus even says, were there not ten that came? He said, were there not ten that came that I healed and yet only one comes back? And he looks at that one and says, but you'll be made whole. Some of you have lost some things in your life. You are one thank you away from God restoring to you what you, listen to me prophetically now. You are one thank you. You are one hallelujah. You are one praise from God restoring to you the years that the palmer worm and the canker worm have eaten away and the locust. You're one praise from breaking through where you should have already been. God can translate you and take you from nowhere to somewhere without consulting anybody. Some of you are one prayer, one tear, one thank you, one hallelujah away from being translated into your true identity. Well, you mean I'm full of the same power that looked down on the cold, dead, hard body of that six-foot Jewish man that was laying in a tomb completely and utterly dead? And there came a rumbling early Sunday morning. <laughs> there came a rumbling. Do you remember in the old covenant when there was an ark of the covenant and a cherubim sat on one side and another one sat on the other side and their wings touched? And the Bible says that the glory of God would come and sit in between the two cherubim that faced each other on the altar. Did you know that when Mary ran to the tomb to see Jesus that day, she peeked inside the tomb and what did she see? But an angel at the head of the tomb and an angel at the foot of the tomb. They were probably facing each other and I can guarantee you they were because the glory of God came and rested on that cold dead body and Jesus became the firstborn from among the dead. The firstborn among many brothers. If he's the firstborn from among the dead, how in the world can death hold you? I mean, the bosom of the father could not hold Jesus. He was love and he had to be expressed. The womb of his mother could not hold Jesus nine months and he had to come out. The Sadducees and Pharisees could not hold Jesus. They tried to throw him off a cliff and yet he escaped. His own disciples could not hold Jesus and in the garden his own will couldn't hold him. And that's why Acts 2.24 says it was not possible that death could hold him. God having loosed Jesus from the pains of death because it was not even possible. It was never a question. It was never in doubt in the heart of the Father that son's going to rise from the dead. Also, it's never been in the, a doubt in the heart of the Father that my sons and daughters are going to rise up out of their old dead situations the moment that they... Breathe in the reality of who they are. And you can only breathe in the reality of who you are as you breathe in the reality of who he is. <sighs> if the one that says I am the resurrection lives inside of you, you better be resurrecting something everywhere you go. You have that right and that responsibility. You are no longer simply citizens of a kingdom. You are ambassadors of the king. 
And as ambassadors of the King, it is your job, your high calling, your duty to go out and make sure that the dead situations out there become alive again because of your presence. Jesus couldn't even, he'd wreck a funeral. Don't invite Jesus to a funeral because they can't stay dead when he comes. He just happened to be passing by a town called Nain one day. And the Bible said that soldiers were carrying this widow. Her husband had already died. So what she had was dead. And what her future looked like, her son had died, her only son. And they're carrying him on what the King James calls a beard. It's a stone or a wooden slab. And they carry this dead man. And the Bible says that Jesus walks up and put his hand on the beard. And immediately the Bible says the soldiers were frozen. Why? Because whatever is carrying your dreams away in death become absolutely terrified and frozen the moment that Jesus the Christ comes and grabs a hold of your situation. I mean, they stood like dead men. They were completely and utterly powerless in the presence of the one who is all-powerful. And Jesus looked down at the little boy and says, get up off of that slab. I'm going to restore your mama's dreams to her. I'm going to restore your mama's future to some of you God to say today, I want to give you back some dreams that you've forgotten about. I want to give you back some vision that you forgot about. You might be 78 and a half years old, but I ain't done with you. You're going to walk in the fullness of what I've called you to be. Death is absolutely, completely, and utterly terrified of the voice of resurrection that resides inside of sons and daughters of the King. Jesus would stand over death one day because death came with its gaping jaws. And for everyone that death came for, with the exception of Enoch and Elijah, when death came, those jaws came, it swallowed up everyone that it came in contact with. And it looks on a hill called Golgotha. By the way, Golgotha, as you know, means the place of the skull. The place of the skull. That's why Jesus was crucified there. So that, and and it, it, oh God, help me, Lord. What time is it? Your biggest battle will always be won in one of two places. The olive press or the place of the skull. And death looks up on Jesus and said, I'm coming to eat up another one. I'll devour Jesus just like I did. Had no idea that Jesus was was resurrection life. Jesus was God made flesh. Jesus was the one who chose to be called Emmanuel. Jesus was the wonderful one, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. And it looked like death had won. And yet Jesus ate death from the inside out and said, oh death, where is your sting? And grave, where is your victory? Like a, like, a, like a hero, like a victor taunting its fallen foe. Where is your sting now? You came to swallow me, I swallowed you. You came to kill me, I, it was the death of death when Jesus rose from the dead. Death has absolutely zero legal right in your life unless you submit to it. Dead relationships cannot stay dead unless you submit to it. Grave. <laughs> I'd probably scare half of you out of the church if I told you that word is the same word used for hell. Hell, where is your victory? 
the Bible says of Jesus, in the, I am he that was dead and alive and behold I am alive forevermore and I'm the one with the keys to death and hell I have the keys of death and of hell I got a feeling what Jesus had to do was to lock the gates of hell forever so nobody has to trespass there anymore if if you're in hell you're trespassing you are not allowed there Unless you went in as an ambassador of the king like I'm trying to do this morning and grab somebody by the hand and say, there's a better life, there's a better way. Don't you see? He's good. He's good. He's good. His mercy endures forever. The Lord, he is good. His mercy endures forever. And he's full of mercy and life and joy and love and peace. Come on out of this hell that you've been living in. You don't have to wait till you draw your last breath to taste of hell. I know plenty of people live in a hell on a daily basis. They're in that place of Golgotha, the dead place, the place of the skull, and they're waiting for someone to come and illuminate them with the light of life like I'm trying to do today. When he appears, not in the last day, in my day. could say it better this way. When he appears in my today, because that's why Jesus is the same Because every moment with God is now. Because he does not live in time. Time lives inside of him. When Christ comes, when Christ is revealed, we're going to be like him. And we're becoming like him because we're starting to see him as he is. all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, all at once, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. That's who he is. If he's everywhere, all at once, I mean, by God, even David would say, the psalmist, looking prophetically into the future and say, though I make my bed in hell, if I turn over on my pillow and look, there he is. If I ascend into the highest heavens, God is there. You'll never, you'll never go a place where God isn't. Has it ever dawned on you that it has never dawned on God? He's not caught by surprise. I like when they lie and say that Lucifer was a worship angel and they snuck up on God one day to make the battle in the war in heaven. That's easy to prove that's heresy. They didn't sneak up. You can't sneak up on God. Like God was like, oh God, what was that? Oh me, what was that? God is not surprised. God lives and is and exudes and breathes life. And he's waiting for sons and daughters to let his lips touch your lips and touch your nostrils like he did the first Adam and the last Adam in the tomb. And breathe into Adam the first nostrils of breath of life. But the last Adam, he became a quickening spirit, a life-giving spirit, so that anyone that sucks in that same breath is not just made to be alive, but is literally made life. And if you're made life, you have the ability to give that life away. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Oh, where are you living? Where are you living? Have you seen him as he is? Stop asking God, why is this happening to me? And take your focus off of me and put your focus on him. And when you put your focus on him, you'll see him and you will become what you behold. Uh, 
Amen. Let's stand. Told you. It's just 10 after 12. I was actually going to preach till the rain died down a little bit. So y'all didn't get soaking wet on the way to the car. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we know that we shall be like him because we're going to see him as he is. See him as he is. Not angry, not bitter, not mad, not broke, not busted. My dad used to say, I'm not broke and I'm not busted and I refuse to be disgusted. We are children of the king and therefore we have everything. And he said, thank Finger, bang. If my son is thinking about something, Jacob doesn't think about it, he thinks about it. Let me think about it. We are children of the king, and therefore we have everything. <laughs> That's how Jake would say it. That's how my daddy said it, ain't it? Watched him say it this past week on video. Well, my question to you is simply this. What are you walking in? Have you seen yourself as you are? Do you see him as he is? Do you even know who he is? Some of you have not had an experience with God and intimacy and prayer and worship in so long. It's amazing to me that you're carrying anything. Don't get mad at me. Just let me talk for a minute. Passion and intimacy produces fruit. Elizabeth and I didn't have no babies till there was intimacy. You feel me? Can I, can I say it that way? Some of you are wondering, why am I not producing anything? Why is not, how, when's the last time that you got along with him and let him, let him whisper sweet nothings in your ear? I mean that. When's the last time? When's the last time that you said, my soul thirsts for you like the deer pants for water? I want you. I need you more than my own necessary food. And your love, oh God, is better to me than life. When's the last time that the Bible says that it's those that are hungry and thirsty that'll be filled? When's the last time you had a hunger for intimacy with the Father? Hungry for intimacy. When you have hunger for intimacy, I can guarantee you, He's not going to stand at the door and knock forever. He wants to come in and He's going to make a church pregnant. And when He makes the church pregnant, that seed that comes forth will destroy every dead thing that's ever been manifested in your life. So what do I need to do? You need to find some time and be alone with Him. I don't know what to do. Sit down, shut up, and turn everything else off and just wait. There you go. That's the nice version. I don't know what to sit. Father, I'm here. Lord Jesus, I'm here. I open up my mind. I open up my soul to you. I'll sit here in silence until I feel you. I'll sit here in silence. I mean, it's not, a, it's not anything for any of us to go to the movies and sit for two and a half hours and not think a thing about it. When's the last time you sat alone and waited and said, I won't move until I know that the Spirit of God has impregnated me with something? You talk revival. Revival means bringing something back to life. We need a revival. We don't need a bunch of heretical preachers coming what we need is someone that'll get along with God enough whether they're on the platform or in the pew or in the closet or at work and say I refuse to leave here and get like Jacob get, I refuse to let you go until you bless me until you speak to me until there's a benediction that comes over my life until I'm impregnated with purpose I sound better when we get plays don't we prophet is always a lot more powerful when he's got his menstrual father 
I thank you now for your word. I have done what I believe you called me and spoke to me this past week to do. I have given them your word and I pray and believe that the seed of your word will go deep into the soil of their souls. And when it does, it'll germinate, spring up and bring forth fruit. But not just bring forth fruit, but bring forth more seed that can be sown into the lives of everyone in the sphere of our influence. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I declare this a new day. I declare life and health and prosperity of, over everyone here. I declare this week they'll begin to see you as you are. That they'll hear a voice from heaven like Mufasa said to Simba, remember who you are. You are my sons and daughters. You are the true kings and priests in the earth. And we'll refuse to allow scars from the past keep us from ascending to a throne that you've called us to live with you in the ascended life. I love you, my Father. I love you, my Father. I thank you for the opportunity to speak on your behalf today. Bless us this week as we bless you this week. Forgive us this week as we forgive this week. Love us as we love. Bring us into newness of life. And help us to drip with resurrection power everywhere we go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.